Welcome to A.T. Stewart and Sons Ministries. I'm your host, A.T. Stewart. I'm glad you've chosen to join us today as we look into the Word of God. So take your Bibles and let's hang out in God's Word for a few moments and see what God would say to us today. Welcome tonight to our study of end times. And tonight we're going to look at the eternal state of the damned, eternal state of the damned. We saw at the great white throne of judgment last week that uh, those who have rejected Christ uh, will be thrown into the lake of fire. And if you have your schedule of the events to take place before and after the return of Jesus the Messiah, we are all the way down to Roman numeral 4, letter J. The judged, wicked, rejectors of Christ are thrown into hell. Now, there are people today who do not believe in the place the Scripture calls hell. For various reasons, they just cannot bring themselves to conceive that there would be a hell in a loving God's plans for mankind. Well, I want to start off by clearly saying that Jesus Christ himself, the tender compassionate, loving Son of God believed and taught the reality of a place known as hell. In fact, Jesus had more to say about hell than he did about heaven. Gehenna, and that's the word translated hell, is used 12 times in the New Testament. In all of the New Testament, it's used 12 times. And 11 of those 12 times are on the lips of Jesus Christ himself. Over in Mark chapter 9 is an example of Jesus speaking on the subject of hell. In Mark 9, beginning in verse 42 and reading through verse 50. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck And he went and was thrown into the sea. And if you your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Well, it's better for you to enter life crippled than with with two hands to go to hell. To the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than with two feet to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Now you remember in a previous lesson, I told you that the word translated hell is the Greek word Gehenna, which stands for the Valley of Hinnon, which was a valley southwest of Jerusalem. And in the days of the kings, this valley became a notorious place where the wicked kings of Israel led their people to sacrifice their children, literally burning them to death, as a sacrifice to the god Molech. 
And so this became a valley, a place associated with great spiritual, moral defilement. And when Israel made their way back to the Lord, this place was such a place of uncleanliness spiritually and such spiritual defilement that they didn't want anything to do with it and they made it the trash heap or the county dump of the city of Jerusalem. It's where they would take their dead animals. It's where they would take their trash. It's where they would take their refuse. And it was burning continually. And it was a place of stench. And it was still a place that was filthy. And it was basically the worst place you could think of. And so when Jesus wanted to talk about the eternal state of the damned, the Christ rejecting, he chose this place, Gehenna. And so that will help you to get a little understanding. And as I told you, they've turned it into a park now. I have literally walked through hell. When I was over there, this preacher friend of mine, I said, we have got to walk through this area, through the Valley of Hinnon, so we can tell folks we literally walked through hell together. And again, they've made a city park out of it now, and it, it looks beautiful. But let me tell you, in Jesus' day, it was a place of awful defilement and wretchedness. But Jesus believed in a place called hell. Also, Paul believed in hell. Over in Second Thessalonians chapter 1, we see Paul's words on this subject. Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. Pick up the flow, we're starting verse 7. And to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His might when He comes on the day to be glorified in His saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. So Paul believed there was a place known as hell. John believed it. He calls it the lake of fire. But the truth is that the truth of the gospel requires it. Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Or what are we saved from? Why do we need a gospel? We need to be saved from the wrath of a holy God because of our sinfulness. And so clearly there is a place for those who have rejected Christ where they will spend eternity. That brings us to number two in your outline as we look at a more detailed description of this place known as hell. First, hell is a place of God's full fury. We're over in Revelation chapter 14, beginning in verse 9. John says, And another angel, a third, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships a beast, and its image, and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels 
and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. And they have no rest day or night. These worshipers of the beast and its image and whoever receives the mark of its name. So the first thing I want you to see is that hell is a place of God's full fury. His full wrath. Now the wrath of God in this world has always been mixed. It's always been diluted with His grace and His mercy. When God poured forth His wrath on the world in the days of the flood, His grace and His mercy saved Noah and his family. Even when God poured forth His wrath on Sodom and Gomorrah, His grace saved Lot. Even in the tribulation, in the trumpets and the bowls of God's wrath, they will be mixed with His mercy and His grace. They are calling people back to God. They are calling people to repentance. So even in this age, the greatest displays of the holy wrath and judgment of God are diluted by His grace and mercy. But in hell, the full, undiluted, unmixed, unmitigated wrath of God will be turned upon the Christ-rejecting sinner. There will be no mercy. There will be no grace to dilute God's divine wrath in hell. It will be of full strength as never before. Now, you may think you've experienced God's wrath in this life, but let me tell you, it's nothing compared to what it will be in hell. Secondly, hell is a place of burning torment. Verse 10. He also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. One thing is very clear about hell from God's Word. It is a place of intense pain, of intense agony, of intense suffering. In Matthew 8, we read, But the sons of darkness shall be cast into outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I mean, have you ever hurt so badly that, that you just gnashed your teeth? It was, it was so bad. Isaiah 33:14 says, Sinners in Zion are terrified. Trembling has seized the godless. Who among us can live with this consuming fire? Who among us can live with continual burning? Charles Wesley used to say, take a candle flame. See if you can hold your finger in that candle flame for one second. In hell, there will be continual burning forever and ever. Matthew 13, verse 50 says, And will cast them into the furnace of fire, and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Again, in Matthew 25, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. And then again in 2 Thessalonians 1, 9, and they will pay the penalty of eternal destruction. Now people ask me, well, preacher, do you think it's going to be a literal fire? I believe it will be. But if it's not, it's going to be worse. 
than a literal fire. But literal fire burning is the worst thing I can imagine, and so I believe it probably will be. But hell will be a place of intense suffering and pain. Thirdly, hell is a place of God's sovereignty and His omnipresence. Here we read in verse 10, And also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured out in full strength into the cup of His anger. He will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Now, we saw one of the scriptures we read earlier where it says that they will be away from the presence of God. Now, here it says that they will be suffering in the presence of God. Well, is there a contradiction there? I do not believe so at all. I think there are two different meanings here. I think the passage in Revelation is talking about the omnipresence of God. God is everywhere. And these who will be suffering in hell will be aware of the presence of God and His angels. They will know that a holy God has judged them as guilty before Him, and they are experiencing His wrath. This will heighten their shame, their embarrassment. As they are aware of His holiness, this will heighten their sense of their own wretchedness and that they are only getting what they deserve. Remember David said, where can I go to escape from God's presence? If I ascend into heaven, he's there. If I descend into Hades, he's there. And so there will be an awareness of God's presence. And in a moment, we'll see what the Scripture means when it says they will suffer away from the presence of God. Next, hell will be a place of everlasting and constant torment. Everlasting and constant torment. Verse 11 says, And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night. It's everlasting. It will not end. It is forever and ever, on through eternity. There are some false teachers that say after we paid our debt, we are annihilated. Some cults say that. They say it's only a certain amount of, of suffering and then... You're destroyed. Destruction. Or hell is only temporary. Once we are adequately punished, we get to go to heaven. They call that purgatory. But I want to tell you, the Scripture does not teach those truths or those falsehoods. It teaches the truth. And the truth is, the suffering of hell will be of no reprieve. There will be no letting up forever and ever. Not for one millisecond. The Scripture says they have no rest. Wouldn't life be awful if you and I didn't get a chance to rest? Isn't rest a welcome thing when you're tired? And the older you get, the more it's welcome, hey? The more that rest you need. But we all need it. And it is refreshing. And, you and, and you know, we think about resting as we sit down and, and rest from our activity we might be doing, take a book or even maybe go out in the yard and, and do something in the yard, but yet it's different than what you've been doing all day, so it's restful. There's something refreshing about that. Uh, you know, we go away on vacation to kind of get away and kind of a rest. Well, I want you to know in hell there is no rest from the pain and the suffering and the agony. There are no holidays. There are no breaks. It is constantly day and night, day after day after day, after day, after year, after year, 
after millennium, after millennium, after millennium, thousands and thousands and millions and millions without one second's rest. No let up. Throughout eternity, without end. Those who reject Christ will suffer and be tormented forever and ever and ever. Next, hell is a place of separation from God's presence. Second Thessalonians 1 9. And they, and these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. What is meant by this? Well, I'm convinced the worst thing about hell is not the fire and the torment and the physical pain, but it will be the separation from God. Now, this separation that's being talked about is a separation of relationship. They will have absolutely no sense of the loving relationship of God. Verse a moment ago, they were aware that there is a holy God. They are aware that they have sinned against this holy God. In His holiness, they are reminded of their wretchedness. But there is no sense of His love. There's no sense of His compassion. There's no sense of His mercy. There is a total absence of any personal loving relationship with Him. Even on earth, the unbeliever experiences God's grace. He got to experience that beautiful day today. The beautiful sunshine, he got to experience that. He's going to get to experience the beauty of, of autumn in a few weeks. He experiences the rain. He experiences a measure of health. He gets to experience fun and good times and laughter. These are all expressions of God's grace that even unbelievers get to experience in this life. But in hell, they will be separated from all that is good, all that is of God's grace. Total separation from God Himself. Jesus experienced this on the cross when He said, My God, my God, why has Thou forsaken me? That was the worst part of the cross for Jesus. It was not the pain. It was not carrying the weight of the sins of His people. That was horrendous. But let me tell you, the most painful part of the cross was that sense of being abandoned and separated from God His Father that he had had such intimate fellowship with throughout eternity. Well, hell will be a place of separation from God. That will be what makes it hell. Next, hell will be a separation from loved ones. Jesus, speaking in Matthew 25, says, And cast out the worthless slave into outer darkness. In that place there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I think the darkness indicates total loneliness, absence from any other presence. I talked today about the reunion that Lord Corsi was enjoying in heaven with those that have gone on before him who loved Jesus as he did. Won't be any reunions in hell. You know, I've heard people say, well, I may go to hell, but I'll have a lot of company with me. No, out of darkness, I think, translates into utter loneliness. The worst punishment that can be inflicted on a human is solitary confinement, to be isolated from absolutely all human contact. People eventually will go crazy. In hell, there will be absolute absence of any human contact or relationship. They will be in 
utter outer darkness. Hell is a place of separation from loved ones and others. Next, hell was prepared for the devil and his angels. Jesus said again in Matthew 25, Depart from me, accursed ones, into eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. God did not prepare hell for you and me. It's a place for Satan and those who follow him. There was a lady one day that came up to the pastor who was preaching on hell, and she was upset. And she said to him, I just can't believe God would send any of his children to hell. He said, lady, he doesn't send any of his children to hell. God desires to keep us out of hell, the Scripture says, who desires all men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. He gave his son to die for us. He gave us a Bible. He gave us a church and preachers, and he sent the Holy Spirit to convict of sin. God has done everything necessary to keep us out of hell. And if a person goes to hell, it's because they chose to go. Nobody will be in hell who says, man, I didn't want to be here. I want to be in heaven. And in America, it's not easy to go to hell. I mean, the person to go to hell in America, they got to climb over the church. They got to climb over the Bible. They got to climb over gospel sermons. They got to climb over consciousness of the Holy Spirit and the providence of God. They got to climb over Calvary and trample underfoot the blood of Christ. You see, it's a place of one's own choosing. In our passage in Revelation, it says those who had received the mark of the beast and worshiped the image, these were things they chose to do. It is a place of our choosing, the Scripture says. And I want to end up with the good news. That's the bad news, folks. It doesn't get any worse than hell. That's it. But the good news is, if you're listening to my voice on the radio, on CD, all right, in this very presence, I want you to know it's not too late for you. You can be saved from hell. Hear me. You can be saved from hell. Over in Romans chapter 10, over in Romans chapter 10, Paul tells us how a person can be saved from hell. Romans 10, beginning in verse 9. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the Scripture says, Whoever, anyone who believes, or everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Will you acknowledge Jesus as Lord of your life? Whoever confesses with his mouth that Jesus is Lord, the Scripture says. Paul had in mind an event that would happen once a year in the Roman state. That is, once a year, people would have to go in and state Caesar is Lord. And they'd be free for another year. Christians would not say that. They would come in and say, Jesus is Lord. And they'd be killed. So when Paul is writing this, he's not simply saying... Just verbally acknowledge, just say the words, Jesus is Lord. No, no. He's talking about total surrender to Jesus. 
He means you really believe. And you have submitted your will to His will. And He is Lord of your life. And you're willing to live or die for that conviction and that belief. That if need be, you will go and confess Jesus is Lord, even if it means your life. Do you believe God raised Him from the dead? Paul says, confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart God raised Him from the dead. That means you believe first He lived a perfect life. Therefore, death had no claim on him. He was perfect. He was sinless. Do you believe that? You must believe he died in your place. You and I should have been on that cross. We have sinned, not him. That he died in your place. He took your place. And God accepted his payment, his sacrifice for our sins. Jesus experienced hell on the cross. He experienced the full, unmitigated, undiluted, holy hatred of God on sin upon Himself on that cross. He experienced hell for His own. Not God didn't let up one bit. All of the fury and holy hatred of God over your sin and my sins, He poured out on His Son Jesus. That's what Jesus experienced on the cross. He experienced hell so you and I would not have to experience hell. When He took our place on the cross and became sin, He who knew no sin was made to become sin on our behalf. He experienced the full judgment and holy wrath of God on sin. And when He came alive from the dead, it was proved positive that God, first of all, accepted His sacrifice that God said the payment was made in full. It was proof positive He was no mere man, but man, God, unique Son of God, the only one who's been resurrected never to die again. His resurrection sets Him apart from all others. Muhammad never said he was going to die and be raised up. Confucius never claimed that he would be raised up. Buddha never said he would be raised up after he died. Only Jesus said, I shall die and on the third day be raised up. And he was. That sets him apart. We don't serve a dead Savior. We serve a living Lord. Hallelujah. So if you will confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, if you will surrender all you are to all he is, if you'll believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, meaning he paid the price for your sin, he experienced hell for you, and if you will call upon his name, he will save you from hell. There's no distinction between Jew and Greek. Anybody, everybody who will call upon his name. He says, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call upon him. His spiritual riches of grace and forgiveness and eternal life on all who will call upon him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be Saved everyone, whoever, everyone listening within my voice is included in that whoever, that everyone. You will call upon the name of the Lord in simple faith. And the name means person. Remember, there was no word for person in the Greek. We get that from Latin, persona. And so in the Greek language, name took the place of person. And so it's just like saying if you will call upon the person 
of Jesus Christ. If you will believe in the person of Jesus Christ. Call upon him to save you. Call upon his mercy. John Wesley had a dream one night. And he was telling his congregation about it. He said he dreamed he went to heaven. And somebody shouted out, were there any Methodists there? He said, no. Somebody else shouted out, were there any Baptists there? He said, no. Somebody, they were getting a little disturbed. And then somebody shouted out, were there any Catholics there? I was sure hoping the Catholics didn't make it, and they didn't. And he said, no. He said, the only people were there were those who had been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. That's the only ones who will be in heaven. Those redeemed by his blood. John, General Booth of the Salvation Army, the founder of the Salvation Army, he was speaking to a class of graduates who had gone through their three-year program, kind of like seminary. And he said to them, if I had my way, you wouldn't have to go through this three years of training. He said, if I had my way, I'd put you down in hell for 24 hours and let you feel the pain and the agony and hear the cries, the groaning, the gnashing of teeth. And then I'd send you out to save a lost world. This message, for those of us who know we're going to heaven, is a call to go out and proclaim the gospel. To proclaim the truth that God saves. And that they don't have to go to hell if they'll call upon the name of the Lord. That concludes our lesson for tonight.